Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. That's today. Um, if you want to turn, do we got it? No, we're good. So we're going to continue on opening up with our scripture. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 19. And for the last time, probably this year, you'll hear this scripture. Actually, 14. And it says, Then he appointed 12 of them, and he called them apostles. And they were, and they were accompanied him. And he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are, these are the 12 he chose. Peter, James, and John, the son of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, who we're going to talk about today, James, Thaddeus, Simeon, and Elliot, and Judas is Issachar, who later betrayed him. So today, as we finish up, we've been going in alphabetical order. So last but not least, we're going to talk about Thomas. Now, Thomas, it's very interesting because I can relate to him on so many different levels. Um, As we talked about over the last 13 weeks, Thomas is kind of like a guy. He's in the middle. He's not real crazy. There's few references about him. Actually, as you look through the various scriptures, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the only thing that's listed about him is the, um, being in the genealogy, uh, the apostle list. But in John is the only one that gives him some love. There's over eight passages that discuss the things that are going on. And when you study and just kind of look at Thomas, it does bring up like a lack of information. From all my studies, it says he kind of grew up poor you can infer that he's a fisherman by trade. And also, we know that he's a very peculiar in terms of his personality. And most of us, as you flip to the next one, this is probably what we see when we think of Thomas, right? He is risen. Sounds like fake news. Thomas the doubter. That's what we're going to talk about today. But when you think about Thomas, he gets a lot of bad press, right? We isolate one scripture, one moment in his time of grieving, and now that adjective stays with him every time we bring him up. Most of us don't even bring up the name Thomas unless you're thinking about doubting, because you're trying to say, oh, this is the person that don't believe. But in all times throughout the week, you probably had one moment that you had a bit of doubt, that you wanted to, as Pastor Ray talked about last week, being able to walk in the spirit, you walked in the flesh whether it's from shooting a bird, whether it's from getting the water cup and you actually got some juice. I don't know what it is. You were on the clock. You only supposed to have a 15-minute break, and you took 30 because everyone else did it. All of us go through these times and these moments of doubt. We go through these times when we resort to our default. And as we look at Thomas, let's see. I think we're good. The thing that stings out to me is, Character and personality. So character, what is character? Character is being the same person in private, the same person also in public. 
that there is no difference in between how you act. There's no difference in terms of how we respond. And all of us through our walk with life, the Bible says in Romans that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have made our mistakes. No matter how much effort we get through our frailty, through, through our shortcomings, we always mess up. That's why we need Jesus to be that replacement. So character, whether you're talking about Thomas, whether you're talking about Andrew, or you talk about you, is something that we're all striving towards. There's moral standards as God outlines in the Bible. As we all know in the most succinct form, it says to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. For us to be able to honor God. And for us to be able to strive to be more like him. But that's character. But personality... God is not up to changing your personality. He wants you to be you. Look to your neighbor and say, be you. Be you. you. So Thomas, as we talked about all of these apostles, as Pastor Ray taught the first 12 weeks, is highlighting their strengths, highlighting their weaknesses. And one of the tools we offer here at Diverse City to help people out is through the shape tool. And in the shape we're able to see that there's four main primary dominant personalities that everyone in here kind of falls into. We got it? Next one. Bam. Uh, after that, you missed, my, you missed my cue. There we go. Personalities. So as you can see here, here are the four main personalities that everyone has. D, this is the dominant person. This person is just a doer. They just like to complete the task. I think it's the speaker. D for dominant. This is just a doer. You know, someone like Papa John. Just tell him what to do. He'll get it done no matter what. The next person you got the inspiring. This is the outgoing person. They're always trying to have a party, you know, like Miss Lawanda. Anytime you come around here, there's energy, there's positivity. This is like Peter and John the Baptist. And then next you have the supportive person. This one is, this is the best as a manager and a supervisor. I love to have supporters on my team. They're just team players. They just get it done. They're always considerate of the next person. They're great servants and they're willing to make it happen. I actually did a shape discussion with Gio. I think that was his primary one. Cool guy, laid back, whatever you need, I got you. And then see, you got the cautious person. This is the person that likes a lot of attention to detail. They need procedures. They need the step-by-step instructions. And what you have here, that's Thomas, right? Now, it manifests itself in different environments. So like the D person, if they ever send you the email, it may be like one sentence. That's all they got. They're going to go straight to the point, do this. The I person They'll get ready to send you an email, then they'll just pick up the phone and call you and probably talk about two or three other things first and be like, oh yeah, by the way, can you take care of this? The S person is always considerate of who we're talking to. They're trying to figure out to be able to help that person. And the C is the person that sends long emails. You'd be like, you gotta chop that up into two or three different things. And as we look at all of the apostles, as we discuss, all of them speak to them. The D, that, that's the zealots, right? Really bunking the system, rebellious, ready to make it happen. The I, as I said, is Peter and John. The S, that's Andrew. And the C, you got Thomas and Philip. Now, based on that description, if you're a D, raise your hand. 
Yes, Lord. What about my eyes? Where are my eyes at? Don't be, don't be scared. Where's my S's? A lot of S's. Or what about my C's? Where are my C's at? Ah, okay. I try to keep memory because normally as a leader, it's important to understand each individual's communication style if you want to get the best from them. So, with personality, and I'm going to get very practical to make sure that everyone understands and we're going to jump into the test. Now, I'm going to show a picture, a few pictures, and you tell me, what do you see? Picture number one. Bam! Y'all remember this picture? That. What color is the dress? Blue. Blue. Blue and black? Or white and gold? Yes. Yes. The two-tone dress that had everyone confused. Different perspectives, different experiences that change what you see. Next picture. What do you see first? Who see the faces? Who actually sees the vase? Yes, perspective. Next one. What do you see first? Who sees the tree first? Raise your hand. Who see the gorilla? What about the lion? Uh-oh. Now, when I say this, this will be the C. Who sees the fish? Ah. Y'all see the fish at the bottom? Next picture. What? Who is the eye that said turn it back? Yep, Taylor, off the chain, right there. What do you see? Is the glass half full? Raise your hand. Or is the glass half empty? Perspective. So, as you can see from the various pictures, we're all different. Sometimes we just think about diversity based on color and content, but it's, based, it's more than that. It's our experience, it's our skills, it's our ability, the things that we naturally gravitate towards will determine what we're able to see. Now, so when I look at, um, and I started doing more study of Thomas, Yes, the doubter is a big predominant thing that we hear about, but when you look at the full content of all of the scripture, Thomas' biggest issue is pessimism. Thomas is a negative Nancy, right? He's always thinking gloom and doom. He doesn't believe that there's light at the end of the tunnel. He's questioning. He needs proof. He needs evidence. But Thomas, as you read through and we walk through each passage, I'm going to highlight three things that stands out to me about Thomas. If you go to our first scripture, I think it's John 11, chapter 14 and 16. All right, cool. And it says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for the sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Denimus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So let me just kind of back that up. Right before chapter 11, um, you see in the beginning of this chapter of the disciples all going into Judea. And as they go into Judea, there's a hit list for Jesus. 
So when you see the disciples, besides Thomas, they're all scared. They say, why would you put yourself in harm's way? Why would you go back again and set yourself up for death? But Thomas, you know, he was kind of gangster. Thomas was like, I don't care, let's go. But the pessimism said that we may die with him, not let's go and protect Jesus. Let's not just go and hang out and make sure nothing happens. But Thomas was like, let's just go and die with Jesus. If, if, if it's his time, he said, my will, let, not my will, but your will be done. So when you see the disciples here, they're scared, but Thomas is the only one that's ready to do the right thing. Now, this reminds me of, I think, about four weekends ago. Um, we probably had about 30 people um, go with us to hand out flyers for Trunk or Treat. Now, I had the biggest group. It was like seven of us, and we had 600 flyers to give out. So we begin to start walking down, I forgot the street, is that Itasca? You know, I'm confused, and I use Google to get anywhere. But we start to walk down this street, whatever it is, and then we got to Virginia, this way, yes. And then we crossed the street, and there was a group of guys, and so me as the fearless leader walks over there and start giving them the flyers, handing them out, and then one person said to me, there's no laws in these streets, bro. You better watch out. They shoot you without no hesitation. And for about five seconds, I really got scared. I said, Lord, you know I'm not from here. I'm from Florida. <laughs> Town of the Mickey Mouse. The hood of Club, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. <laughs> what am I doing here? And for about the next 15 to 20 seconds, I was like, we, don't sh we shouldn't be doing this. This has to be a sign from God. Now, I must say we made it. We gave out all of our flyers. We went to every home. There was only one home we didn't go to because they had a demon-possessed cat on the outside. I tried to send Isabella up, and she got scared too. And I said, if the kids are scared, I'm definitely not going. We won't see them. I'm hoping their neighbor just witnessed to them for us because I will not be there. So, with that, <laughs> that we may die with him. Many of us, now this is a life or death situation, but the slightest things, we begin to sell out Jesus. Nah, we ain't going there. Nah, I don't want to do that. I got to sacrifice that. I gotta, if I want to be a leader, I got to be here at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Nah, I'm good. For others, they're saying it's an inconvenience because we got to get home for football. For others coming to church every week, you know, we're online. Can we just be live? Is that the same? So many times, just the littlest situation that began to sell out Jesus. So you see on the next slide, here's the question. Not necessarily, are you with Jesus? Actually, next one. We see Jesus as, or Thomas as a person that's brave and loyal. Someone that's willing to die for you, those are the people you need with you. Those that are willing through thick and thin, through your ups and downs, it really matters. So the question is, who's in your corner? Who are the top five people that you associate with? When you get a promotion, will they clap with you? Be careful when God accelerates you and they don't celebrate. Be careful 
Because some people can be in your camp and they're not in your corner. We felt that, Quincy. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. I got Quincy. I'm good. Who's on your team? Squad goes. Who's rolling with you? Who has your support? Let's go to the next one. So check this out. Next passage. So first we see Thomas is brave. Thomas is loyal. That's not a doubter. He's brave and he's loyal. Let's look at this next passage. John chapter 1 and 4. Lost my notes. All right. And it says, and we hear this scripture definitely in the black church. Every time I go to a funeral, I hear John chapter 14. But it says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. And if that, (coughs) sorry, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way, the place where I am going. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes you hear this and you immediately get revelation. You completely understand. But Thomas, he, he heard this and he got confused. He had many rooms. We going here, we going there. And then you say, I know where you're going. Thomas starts to question. Thomas becomes skeptical. Thomas begins to say, he asks a question in verse 5, can you dummy proof this for me? Because I don't get it yet. And it prompts Jesus to honor and say one of his most powerful statements in verse 5 and 6. Boom. And it says, Thomas said to the Lord, because Peter think he had it under control, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So, how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what Jesus was trying to say there is not really you putting in Google Maps trying to find this or that. He's telling you to come to the person of Christ. He's telling you to have a relationship with him. And as you get that relationship with Christ, he's able to fulfill your destiny. He's able to give you a roadmap. But with Thomas, he was willing enough to ask questions, to get understanding. God is willing to take your sincere question. He looks at the motives because if they're jacked up, he'll treat you like a Pharisee. But if it comes from a place of sincerity when you just really want to understand what's going on, God is able to give you revelation. So, you can go to the next one, please. So, clarification can lead to new insight and breakthroughs. In our own walk with Christ, ask questions. I know how people smart, how smart people are based on the questions they ask. What questions are you asking? Do you wrestle with your personal walk with Christ? Or do you just go from place to place doing things to things? God is willing to reveal himself to you, but you got a pursuit. It's a pursuit that we're doing. It's a pursuit after God. We have to make sure that we become a seeker of truth. So, if you go to the next one, 
and can I get my, yeah, examine, it says to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. If somebody asks you, why do you believe in Jesus? Do you have an answer? If someone asks you, why Jesus versus Muhammad, what's your answer? If someone asks you, Protestant or Catholic, what is your answer? If you don't have answers, the challenge for you is to start wrestling with these things, to be able to get an understanding, to be able to get clarity in what God has for you. Because as we seek him, it says, seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. Our responsibility and our role is to continue within that pursuit. And Thomas is the best example of that because he was real. He didn't cut corners. He, he wasn't fake. He didn't say anything without having deep thought and revelation, but he became someone that really wanted to know God for himself. So if you go to the next one real quick, actually after this we'll can continue going. So I got a picture, and can I get my two volunteers real quick? Because some of y'all are looking at me a little bit crazy. Let me just bring this more practical. I actually called Becky. Come on. Come on, I need you. And Gio, come on up here real quick. All right. Let me get some water. I am getting over a cold. Take a seat. I promise I won't do anything. In Jesus' name. All right, so we see Captain Optimism. We'll have that be Becky, right? Or Peter, yes? There you go. And this is going to be Captain Pessimism. So I'll be the facilitator real quick. And I wanted to use like a Peter and a Thomas because they're polar opposites. So when I go through a few examples, I'm going to tell you how or Peter would respond. And then in other situations, how does Mr. Thomas responds? So Peter believes innocent until proven guilty. Thomas believes, guilty to proven innocent. <laughs> Thomas and Peter goes to the doctor. They're both sick. And the doctor comes in. And the doctor says, I have new medicine for you that's able to heal. Peter says, give it to me. I'll take it right now. Thomas said, don't give me no generic stuff. I want the real stuff. Don't try no new things on me. Peter has an iPhone 10. Thomas still has a flip phone. <laughs> Peter is a good salesman. Thomas would be an awesome lawyer. When buying a car as a sales agent, I am so happy when a Peter comes in. All I got to sell him is on the good stuff. We'll get them in the back room. We'll put all these insurances, and we'll be slapping each other high five because I got a really good deal with Peter. Thomas had me in there all day long, and after he test drove the car three, four, five times, he said, well, I'll be back. I got to think about it a little bit more. Thomas, we're riding in the car, and we need to get coffee. Peter quickly sees a quick trip. Peter says, let's go get coffee from quick trip. It's 2 p.m. Quick trip past coffee that's under a dollar. 
Thomas says, no, I don't care how far it is. Go to Starbucks. I will pay my five bucks. I don't want the fake stuff. And then they get hungry. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Now they're hungry. And they're both craving a chicken sandwich. And the first restaurant there is Burger King. Peter says, they have a chicken sandwich. Let's go there. Thomas says, why go to Burger King? You preaching my, why go to Burger King for a chicken sandwich? Because they serve burgers. Go to Chick-fil-A. Give me my sandwich with no pickles and give me two Chick-fil-A sauce. Thomas versus Peter. Peter is not about the fa- Peter, you can sell things at face value. Thomas, you have to give him the real deal. He's willing to go the extra mile. He's willing to dig into the details to be able to get a new revelation. Thank you. That's it. Yeah. All right, I'll just move it here. We just move it outside. So, with that kind of in mind, I just think about my own personal experiences when I thought things were going one way and then God kind of threw it off that prompted me to start digging deeper. Three immediate things that came to my mind. One was going to college. I must admit, it took me five years to graduate. And the main reason, what? Who's with my five years? It took me five, yes! Five years to get that bachelor. So, how many, Amanda, you're at five, six, seven? Uh, All right, I'm leaving you alone. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, in college, the reason it took me five years because first time, my first major, I was just chasing the money. The second time, I just chose a major because mama said to do it. And then I had, actually had a moment where it's like, God, what, what should I be doing? What should I actually be going to school? And it prompted me to go home and get a whiteboard and start writing. What are the things that I'm good at? What are the things I don't like to do? And eventually, I've declared a major with going in finance. And then he reminded me, what about ministry? You're so focused on corporate America. You're so focused on trying to get the next dollar. And that led me to go into a master pastor internship program. It was the most important thing I've ever been through in my life. It kept me grounded. It gave me an understanding and a revelation of who God really was. Scenario number two. As as I mentioned before, with um, all of our history, with childbearing. Um, As we all know, as I mentioned before, and those that are new, first time my wife got pregnant at 29 weeks, we ended up losing the baby. She ended up giving birth to a baby that wasn't even born, no heartbeat. And it was the hardest period of our life, being able to go and bury a child in the funeral. Then to get pregnant, six months later, you get twins and everything is going well. And then next thing you know, boom, one of the twins is lost. Then after that, we birth our second, the second of the twin, and they only live for 90 minutes. It was tough. It was very hard. And it said, God, why? What's going on? There's so many people that don't want to have babies. And here we are trying to do things the right way. We done got rid of Sally Mae. We, we survived with one car, paid off, and saved up the X amount of money. We got our six months emergency fund. And the thing that we really want, we can't have. And that led me to go to seminary. 
that led me to go get my master's in theological study. And I said, Lord, if you don't start revealing yourself at a whole new level, I'm done. I'm done. So two years of rigorous study, writing, sacrificing, not being able to go hang out. But I needed that time to be able to understand who God was. Then number three, as we talk about with me even getting here to St. Louis, I was on the right track, Corman hitting the corporate ladder, and then there you go, almost a year from now, applying for a job. The manager already told me it was mine and ended up giving it to somebody else. It rocked me to the core. And in that moment, that's when God said, I'm not giving you this job because you're going to have to be stuck with Mickey Mouse. You need to go to St. Louis. Some of the moments in your life, the most hardest times are for you to gain a new experience with the Lord. Sometimes you just get it through your own pursuits. Sometimes you get it through your own pathways to be able to see him. But then there's other times when God has to send a storm. There's other times when God has to rock your boat to be able to get your attention. And that's what Thomas was going through. And then the next chapter, as we all know, in John chapter 20, And this is the passage where he talks about him being a doubter. As we kind of go before the text, remember in John chapter 20, Jesus has already resurrected. The tomb is empty. And his disciples are in a room, not praying, not having a potluck. It's because they're scared. These are the same people that were scared to go to Judea because there was a hit list. And they're all thinking, if they kill Jesus, they're coming for us next. So when you read in verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, why isn't Thomas there? He's an over-the-top introvert. He doesn't get energy by being around a lot of people. And remember, Thomas was a gangster. He wasn't scared. He was willing to die, so why am I going to go and hide in a room? Why am I going to go and be here? He's wrestling what just happened. This is my Lord and my Savior. Why couldn't I be there when he actually died? If anybody was going to die, I would prefer to die before Jesus. So that's why he's not there. But the rest, as you can see, they're in the room, and here you go. You see, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And from this verse right here, this is where we get the doubting Thomas. But you got to understand there's more content to the context of what we see right here. Now, all Thomas is saying is, I want the same evidence as you. If Jesus came back and showed himself to you, why can't he come to me? I was his road dog. I was right there. I will not believe until he actually comes. So is Thomas really a doubter, or is he just asking for the same proof as the other disciples? We give him a bad rap, but we're just taking one little verse, and now there's a whole theology on him that's been going on for over 2,000 years. 
Thomas, just like us all, as we go through grief, every situation is different. I always tell everyone, never compare pain, because how you deal with pain is completely different how I deal with pain. And how this person deal with pain, maybe you're over in two days, maybe you're over in two months, maybe you're over in two years, maybe you hear one song and it brings it back. But all pain, all of us wrestle with a different pain and grievance threshold. Not, not, you're not less Christian because it takes you longer to get over it. You're not more of a Christian as it takes you longer to get over it. Um, is Patty here? She just made me think of her. And Patty, earlier this year, lost her mother. The first week, she was good. Week number three, broke down. Now, five months later, everything's going okay. And then she goes to her baby shower, and she starts to grieve again. Because she's thinking about, here's my child number two, and my mom's not here. All of us deals with our shortcoming, our grieving, and our experience different. Some of us have been molested. Just because one person responds this way doesn't mean that everyone has to respond the other way. Some need counseling. Others just need deliverance. So, you can go to the next one. So, show me the evidence. That's all Thomas wants. Is it too much to ask for the same thing? The other disciples weren't better than him because he didn't come. Or they had more faith because they already seen him. So he's saying, show me the evidence because he wanted to get a special revelation from God. So in this moment, you see Thomas complaining. In this moment, Thomas is pouting. In this moment, he is doubting. Now, if you go on to the next one, actually. So what is doubt? Doubt is due to a lack of confidence to consider unlikely. So Thomas is doubting because he doesn't have substantial evidence to understand what they're saying. No one else has been raised from the dead just because he probably thought Peter came first, tried to play a prank on him, just messing around. But due to a lack of evidence, Thomas is struggling. Now, all of us struggle with doubt. Doubt is different from unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind, the intellect, What are we going on, putting this together, that together? But unbelief, that's a matter of the heart. What is it? Mark chapter 9 has it talks about the man that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The first example of doubt is in the book of Genesis when we see the serpent deceive and eat. God had already gave instruction and said, this is what you need to do. Don't touch this tree. You can touch that tree. And then the Satan, through his questions, doubting the evidence, begins to deceive Adam and Eve. So as you move on to verse 26, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the door was locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, so Jesus comes in, he says, peace be with you, and he immediately goes to Thomas. And he says, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, what the text does not says is that as Jesus come back, he's rebuking Thomas 
as Jesus comes back, he doesn't say, isn't there testimony enough? But God comes to deal with each of us individually. You shouldn't live off of my revelation. I don't want to live off of your revelation. But all of us have been called to experience God for ourselves. It's not about the message. It's not about the worship. But is he affecting your daily life? When you wake up, is your mind on God? Or is it on Facebook? Or you got to check your email? Or you got to do this? Or you got to do that? Doubt. There's nothing wrong with doubt. You can doubt things. You can doubt people. But don't doubt God. Doubt the salesman, as Thomas did, as he got ready to get his car. Doubt people when they say they're going to do stuff and they really don't do it. Doubt people when they ask you to borrow some money. Doubt that they may not give it back. I've learned my lesson. I don't give, I don't loan money to anybody. I sow. That's it. Because if I loan you money, if I see you in church, now I'm mad at you. If I loan you money, now you're stuck on my mind. Because you can say, bless and highly favor, ask me how I'm doing. But I'm doubting that you're not going to give me my money back and you're just trying to play me because I'm from the mean streets of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. (laughs) Doubt. (laughs) Doubt. So so Jesus, (laughs) if you go to the next one real quick. We're almost done. We're good. Can I get 10 minutes? Wrap us up. All right. So Thomas said to them, my Lord and my God. You sell shouldn't be there. My Lord and my God. Now, he's just not talking about that. If you study this verse, it says he yells it, my Lord and my God. In that moment, he gets a revelation. In that moment, he goes from pouting to shouting. In that moment, he goes from mourning to dancing. In that moment, he goes from doubting to praising because now he got evidence. He understands that God is real. He understands in the revelation through his experience. In all of the Bible, Thomas is the only person that says, my Lord and my God. Now, there's a difference between you referencing God as just God only or Lord. God means that he's there, you appreciate him, but when it means to Lord, that means to hover over every area of your life. Some of us in here just believe that he's God, he's just God to you based on your actions based on how you live. But if he's your Lord, he affects every part of your being. So, faith, we can go on. So in verse 29, uh uh-oh, now he gets checked real quick. And it says, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So faith does not rest on demonstration. We can't wait till we get a sign to be able to respond to what God wants to do for us. Sometimes you gotta respond just based on his word and be able to take action. He can't show you a fleece. He can't have two people prophesy you. If not, your faith and your walk with God remains shallow. Then you're dependent on other people. Then you're dependent on things. And the enemy knows how to throw in a tool and throw you off and have you believe in something crazy and you stray away. So here's the question. What if you're you're struggling with doubt? How do you overcome it? 
I promise these are so deep. It's going to hit you and you're going to start speaking in tongues and say, Shonda, Shonda, see my Honda. <laughs> I was in the, <laughs> I got to tell this joke real quick. So <laughs> I'm going to tell a joke, then I'll get spiritual for five minutes. All right. So <laughs> when I grew up in church, I used to, um, well, I didn't grow up in church. Correct that. But I used to go to this one church and um, they just kind of believe any newcomers come, you have to be baptized, you have to speak in tongues. When they actually finished preaching the sermon, you would go to the altar, they would put newspaper out, and you just got to stay there and tarry until, you, until they see evidence that God has touched your life. So I'm going there, very naive. This is actually right before, not, um, right before 2010 Y2K, you know, all the churches were packed out. So... I go there, and they're praying, and, then my, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm not speaking in tongues. And they just say, keep saying Jesus, 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 Jesus. And there's spit going everywhere, all over the ground. And then he was like, here's the play move to be able to help you go sit down. He said, say this phrase real fast, and they'll believe you're speaking in tongues. And he said, I kill a mosquito. I kill a mosquito, I kill a mosquito, I kill a mosquito. And then you go sit down. Or from the Lion King, Akuna Matata, Akuna Matata, Akuna Matata. All right, I'm done. I'm done. That, please, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not trying to be blasphemous against the Holy Spirit. But I want you to understand. Anyway, overcoming doubt. Here's the deep revelation. Number one, read your Bible. Thomas didn't have the scriptures to be able to confirm, to be able to validate, to be able to see the experiences of so many individuals. Thomas, for us, we have an advantage. We have the scriptures that we can lean on and be able to testify. Everything that you've been through, somebody else in the Bible has went through it. You can easily go to Google and be able to search, but read. This Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's time for us to be able to replace some of the things that negative and external voices and be able to hear what the Lord says. Number two, pray. Yes, I know it's very hard. Yes, thank you. Hallelujah, my man. Pray. Pray, as Pastor Ray talked about it, it's not about King James. I don't read the King James because I don't understand it. I'm a new generation Christian. I know I'm losing hair, but I'm still a new, new generation Christian. Pray. It's that our opportunity to be able to commune with him. Sometimes you only can get one word in Jesus, and he understands and he's able to interpret what you're trying to say. And then number three, community and fellowship. It's important for us to make sure in these last days that we continue to fellowship with believers. It's not important for you to just be a part of the E family and sit at home at bedside assembly and just watching the church online. It's important for you to be in the place. It's something transformative. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how great it was to see Aaron sing. If you weren't here, first of all, we don't put praise and worship online, but you got to experience. You have to experience it for yourself. Fellowship, we need each other, as we said making sure you have the right people in your corner. So in closing, 
as we think about <clears throat> all of the things that we've done for the last um, 13 weeks, here's my three closing points. Jesus' presence increases our faith. Jesus' absence increases doubt. Now, for Thomas, as you can see, the reason when he was around Jesus, his faith was high, who was ready to die for Jesus, and then Jesus was gone, and then he defaulted to his personality. Doubt was in. He was frustrated. But for us, as we give our life to the Lord, he's not over here, he's not over there, but he's in here. But we have to lead to him. Number two, it says, never allow the disappointments of today to hinder your hope for tomorrow. Your mercy, God said his mercies are new every morning. That's not necessarily a 24-hour day, but it's when you come to wake up in your spirit that God is with me, everything's going to be all right. God is with me, all things work together for the good, who are love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, when you're out of purpose, you can start questioning some of the consequences that you have. But when you're called according to his purpose, whether rain or snow, for the just and the unjust, you know that you're secure. And then number three, if you're afraid to be different, you'll never make a difference. If you're afraid to be different, you'll never make a difference. You're here not to be a carbon copy of me. You're here not to be a carbon copy of Pastor Ray. You're here to not have to preach or teach. God wants you to be different. The reason you're here for your uniqueness, for your gifting, for your anointing, through your personality, through your experiences, but God wants you to be different. Be different, and that's the change. God does not create copies. He only makes originals. So last but not least, as Thomas had this revelation and this experience with God, and he received the Holy Spirit, Thomas goes on throughout his life and mentions in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 13, that he was, he became a missionary, even going to India. And even some of the historical, um, the historians would tell you that he was actually crucified in India, that he ended up dying like Jesus. So the question is, who's in here struggling with doubt? As we wrap up, I'm going to just do a plain altar call for those that need to get a deeper revelation. Maybe you're struggling with, why am I here for? What am I trying to do? I don't understand my purpose. My negative experiences have clouded my judgment. But in this time, we would like to be able to honor and worship God. We're going to sing a song called Moving Forward. Where's Quincy? Is he here? You got it? All right. So, moving forward and unbelieving by faith that as you approach the altar together and be able to have a conversation with God, that all things will be able to make new. As we look at the 13 weeks of biography, the main thing that stands out is God wants you to be you, and you were called to be different so you can make a difference. Amen?
Thank you for joining us, and we hope this message blessed you.